Pharisees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, and we thank you for all you've done for us. Father, first, I want to thank you for the praise and worship that came up before you this morning. We pray to God that it would be honoring to you, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would just bless this reading of your word here that we just went over. And we pray to God that you'd be with Pastor Kenny as he brings the message here momentarily. We ask for God that you would open our minds and our hearts, Lord, um, to the word. We pray to God as we approach this new year, Father, that we would, um, our goal would be, as is already stated, is to be more Christ-like and that we would put you first and we would find ourselves in prayer and in scripture um, reading um, daily, Father. We ask for God for your guidance. We ask for God for your help. We ask, Lord, that you to once again just watch over um, Pastor Kenny as he brings the message. And we thank you for all things. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Jason. You may be seated. If I could ask Jesus one thing that I could focus on this year that would make me more like him, what do you suppose he would answer? In years past, I would stand on the brink of New Year's Day and encourage the church, you got to read your Bibles this year, and you got to pray, and you got to serve the Lord more. Year after year, I would try my best to encourage people to do that. Each year, we would all say that we're going to try harder, and we're going to start January. It's a new beginning, a new year, and as Brother Derek said, it lasts a couple of days because we are creatures of habit. I have been told that it takes 21 days to establish a new habit. I don't know about that, but that's what I've been told. And as a pastor, I've felt the pressure through the years to have to stand before you and have something uh, to tell you, to cast a vision, if you will, or to have a theme for the year, to try to encourage you throughout the year. And I've found in these almost 28 years, in March it'll be 28 years that I was called to preach, I have found this to be true. This is His church. It belongs to Him. It's not my responsibility to cast a vision or to develop a theme. He has the theme and the vision laid out in His eternal word, if we'll just read it. And we just have to learn to submit to His will. As a church, we've expended a lot of energy on themes and visions and <clears throat> programs, which are not bad things. But have we, really, have we really been moved to doing what the Lord wants us to do? Please listen to me when I say this. Busyness does not always equal godliness. They are not the same. In Baptist churches, we think that if we're busy, perhaps if we stay busy, <clears throat> then we might not sin. We won't have time to sin because we'll be too busy serving the Lord. I heard a preacher say that. There's only one problem with that. We still have our human nature. And as busy as we are, we still find time to sin. 
But have we really, really asked the Lord what He wants? In this text, there is a lawyer who is a scholar of the law perceiving to tempt or test Jesus to trap him by asking a question. He asked him a question that's recorded in the Word of God for us and for every generation to see this question that was asked of him. Now, our motive for asking the question is different from the lawyer's motive of asking the question. Our motive for asking the question is not to tempt God, to test God, to try God, to trick God. Our question is asked of Him, and our motive of that question is that He would tell us what He wants us to do. That He would lead us because He is the Good Shepherd. He is the head of the church. He is the bridegroom. We belong to Him. According to the Scripture, He has purchased us with His blood. We are no longer ours. We are, and I use this word in its meaning, rightful meaning, doulos, slaves to Jesus Christ. May I ask you a question? How's your relationship with Jesus Christ? I'm not asking you about your physical activity that you do in His name. I'm asking about your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Through the years, I have come to realize that the key to this is not doing, the key to Christianity is not doing more. But the key to Christianity is understanding that Jesus Christ said, I will build my church. His church, He builds it. And the key to this is our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And the reason He said that was, not so that you would be, and I would just rotely be adherents to all these teachings in the Bible, but that out of our love for Him our motive and our desire would change. In other words, the reason we obey Him is because we love Him. Look with me please in verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that He had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Now you have to understand, these were two different groups of Jewish leaders. The Pharisees, and the Sadducees. The Pharisees believed in a resurrection. The Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. They didn't believe in the resurrection. There was no hope. And so when he silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees heard about it and they came together. They're going to get their plan together before Jesus silences them. They want to put their heads together and come up with a defense against this guy that they're going to call and accuse a blasphemer. Verse 35. Then one of them, there's always one in the group, isn't there? There's always that one that has to speak up and say something. And he does so with the motive of testing him. And he says, Teacher, which is the great commandment 
in the law. He is not asking this question because he wants to know what Jesus thinks and believes so he can follow him. He's asking Jesus so he has something of which he can accuse him of being a blasphemer. And Jesus' answer is profound. You've heard it preached in this church. You've heard it preached in other churches you might have been in before. This is not an unfamiliar text. But sometimes in a casual reading, we just take his answer and we read over it and we don't think about it. We think Jesus is just specifically talking to them. He's not really speaking to me. He's not really addressing me. But I will tell you that this is deep. What he is saying is much deeper than a casual reading of the Scripture. And I think that if we would be sincere and ask, what does Jesus want me to do to be more like him in 2024, I think this is exactly what he would tell you. He would say to you, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now, let me just say something. First of all, three things quickly. Number one, God has a divine order. There's an order in creation. There's an order in the home. And incidentally, I'll say this, and I'm going to say it, and it will probably make some people mad. But when you disrupt God's order, there is disorder. And God has an order in the home. He's had an order in creation. He has an order in the church. And even in this text, there is a divine order. He says, you will love the Lord your God with, first of all, all your heart. Heart. All too often in our lives, we invert the text. We love Him with our mind and not our heart. We invert the order because that's exactly what Satan wants us to do. Because if Satan can get your heart... He can have your mind. And I'm going to show you that. Your heart is not the cardio, the muscle that's pumping blood throughout your veins in this passage. In this passage, your heart is that inner man. It is the inside you. It is the seat of your intellect, your emotion, and your will. Now, notice what the Scripture says. Let me run through these quickly about what the Scripture says about your heart. First of all, the unregenerate heart is wicked. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitfully above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? When you watch the Hallmark Channel and the grandfather tells the granddaughter, Honey, just follow your heart. I want to stand up and shout at the TV, No! No. Why? Because your heart is wicked. That's why you must be born again. And in our society, we'll follow your heart. Don't do that. Don't do that. There have been ladies who have found Mr. Right. Oh, he's Mr. Wonderful. He's tall, dark, and handsome. And I'm just following my heart. And he leaves you in a wake of destruction because you followed your heart. You'll not find follow your heart in the scripture because God knows what your heart is. That's why Jesus Christ died on the cross. 
In Ezekiel 36, 26, we have the promise of a new heart. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. The Old Testament leading up to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. I'll give you a new heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep or guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Long before you say a word, it's in your heart. Long before you look at something you shouldn't, it's in your heart. Long before you do something you shouldn't, it's in your heart. Matthew 12, 34, you brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This is why I have observed over the years, people say things in joking or jest, oh, just kidding. No, you weren't. You were serious. It was in your heart. You just disguised it as a joke so that it didn't hit as hard, but you got your point across. Have you ever known someone like that? Known someone like that? They would say something to down, oh, I'm just kidding. No, you weren't. You were serious. That's what's in your heart, and that's what you think about me, and that's what you said. But you know what? I'm going to love you anyways. You know why? Because i got a new heart. I've got a new heart. Matthew 6, 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Every issue of life originates in your heart, not in your mind. You want to know something? Your mind is Satan's battleground. That's where Satan does his battle, not in your heart. Why? Because your heart belongs to God if you're saved. So if he can get your mind to stinking thinking, he can get you to stinking living. But if you and I would just understand that if our heart's right with God, it will affect our mind, it will affect every area of our lives. Much of sin is not, that boy's got a lying issue. He doesn't have a lying issue. He's got a heart issue. That person is this, that, or the other. No, it's not. They have a heart issue. Because it's out of the abundance of the heart. What's in your heart will come out of you. That's why the Bible tells us in the Psalm, in the 119th Psalm, to hide God's Word in our heart. He doesn't say, hide your, I will hide God's word in my mind. No, why? Because we can't remember what we did yesterday. I don't ask people what I preached last week. You know why? I have to go look at my notes to tell you what I preached. How do I expect you to remember what I preached? So here's the thing I'm trying to get across. This is why it's important that we do read the word. Because when we read the Word, we hide God's Word in our heart. And when we need it, God brings it to us. I remember I used to preach and Sister Phyllis Bow would sit right over here and she'd say, Pastor, I just can't remember Scripture. And I'd be preaching, I'd be quoting Scripture, and I'd look back at her and she was quoting Scripture right with me. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says if you hide it in your heart, God will bring it to you when you need it. But listen, if your heart's full of junk... And there's no scripture in your heart. How are you gonna, how you, how's that going to help you? How's that going to help you? This is why I, I say, and this is why we give you Bible reading plans. And this is why we say, listen, we, we encourage you, please be in the Word of God. Because when you read it carefully and coupled with the Holy Spirit and it's hidden in your heart, when you need it, God's going to bring it to you. He's going to help you. So there's a divine order here. 
And we have to make sure that first and foremost, we are loving God with all of our heart, then our soul, then our mind. Because if your heart is loving God with everything it is, your mind will love Him too. Listen, we come in here to church and we sing this. And many of you, have, you might have gone through the worst week you've ever had, the worst year you've ever had in your life, and you've got all these things going on in your life and you've got to think about tonight. I've got to make sure that everything is just right. I've got the this and that and the chicken wings and everything's all set in order. And, you know, it's got to be perfect. And we come into church and we miss the opportunity for our hearts to be nurtured. And strengthened. Do you know your actual heart is a muscle? And it can be strengthened. Number two, he tells us, if we're going to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, that our love for God motivates everything we do. Our love for God. Often we see from man's point of view, which is rote obedience and adherence to the law. I can't tell you how many people I've met that were unbelievers, and I began to talk to them about Christ, and they said, well, listen, you know, I couldn't keep all the rules of the church. Salvation is not about rules. Salvation is about what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross, plus nothing. It's by faith alone. It's only by faith. And the faith is being convinced of trusting, surrender. I mean, I'm, I'm casting, I'm, my, I'm all in on Jesus because there's nothing else. There's nothing else. But God has so much more in store for us. He has so much more in mind when He tells this. Let me ask you a question. Why would God want us to love Him? Because He loves you. Because He loves you. Parents, let me ask you a question. Do you love your children? Absolutely you love the children. Do you want your children to love you? Absolutely. Why do you want your kids to love you? Because you love them. Is it any different for God? He created us. Everything that you are, He made. 1 John 4, 9, 19 excuse me, says, We love Him because He first loved us. How can I love someone more? Have you ever thought about that? How can I love someone more? Love is more than just an emotion. Society only sees there's, there's four or five different Greek words in the New Testament for love. There's different types of love. There's a noun. There's a verb. There's so much to this word love. There's a, a brotherly love. Phileo, Philadelphia is named after that. Phileo love is um, the brotherly love. There's an erotic love. There's a, a camaraderie love. And then there is a self-sacrificing, self-giving love which is the supreme love, and that's the love in which God loved us. For God so loved the world. That's it. That's it. Now, we know that He loves us with a perfect love, but how can I love Jesus more? Have you ever thought about that? If we struggle loving Jesus and loving God, that's a revelation that we don't know Him. Now, hear me out. I'm not saying just because you don't love Jesus like you should, you're not saved. Listen to what I'm saying. Listen to what I'm saying. To know Him is to love Him. Love is only cultivated through relationship. Can I tell you this? Love is only cultivated through relationship. 
Many, many Christians struggle because they don't know God. They only know what they've been taught in Sunday school. They don't know the attributes of God. They don't know the names of God. They don't know the depths that God has gone to rescue them. They never read the Word of God. They never talk to Him in prayer. They never worship Him. How can they love Him? Our love is tied to our relationship with Him. The more you know of Jesus... Now let me ask you a question. Could you imagine being with Jesus the night He was betrayed? And Jesus, you knowing who Jesus is, comes to you, sits down in front of you with a basin of water and a towel, and he begins to take your shoes and socks off and he begins to wash your feet. How would that transform your life? Oh, friend, he's done so much more than wash your feet. He went to the cross of Calvary for you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. That's what the Bible says. And Jesus went to the cross for us. Every sin you would ever think, imagine, do, say. He took all of that on him, knowing. And went to the cross and died because of our sin. And in today's climate, we talk about the gospel so haphazardly. I heard one person say, well, our church, all the pastor ever talks about is the cross of Calvary. I thought, buddy, you are lucky. (laughs) Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest pastors, preachers, pastor to the Metropolitan Tabernacle, preached over 4,000 people without a microphone. And he said, it doesn't matter the text. I read the text And I make a beeline for the cross. Why? Because it's the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. We don't need to hear more sermons about us and what makes us look good and what makes us feel good and and we can have our best life now and we can have anything we want and all this. No, what we need to hear is the cross of Christ. And what Jesus did for you and for me. Because when we go to the cross of Christ, we see the most prime example of love and what Jesus Christ has done for us. How can love be my motive when I don't know Him? I'm not talking about knowing about Him. You know, I've met people, believe this or not, that know Bible facts but don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They've told me they don't believe. And I said, why would you read the Bible? Well, I read the Bible so I could refute those who believe. I said, well, keep reading it because eventually the Bible will get them. In Jesus' name, amen. The more you know about Jesus, the more you know Jesus. The more time you spend with Jesus, the more time you will love Jesus. Some people are more committed to denominations and preachers and even the functioning of the church than they are the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week, I, uh, not having evening service, I perused through some folks that were having, and it's Christmas Eve, obviously, but when I was out with my eye, too, uh, I was perusing through... Uh, live streams 
And I heard a lot of preachers preaching about do's and don'ts. And I heard very few preaching about Jesus Christ. Brother Harry said, "Is it who else would it be about when we're singing that song? It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. Unfortunately, many of us have made this about us rather than about him. And I will tell you this. You can't be self-centered, self-serving, make yourself look good, and be in love with Jesus. You can't. We need to have the same mind that was in the mind of Christ, that we are submissive and we're humbly submitted to his will. And we see that how really wretched I was, how bad I was on my way to hell, and God rescued me. It's sad to say, myself included, there were many the other night who watched the ball game and thought, this is the most ridiculous ball game I've ever watched. This is stupid. And we were upset over it. And we're calling for the firing of the coach and all this. And not one of us has spent a night like that grieving over the soul of a dying loved one that didn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. I'm not against them. I like to watch the games and stuff. But I've come to the realization that to me, I'm a, I'm a number to them. I'm a dollar symbol to them. They care nothing about me. They know nothing about me. My favorite team cares nothing about me. What I think, they could care less. They want my money. And I'm a tightwad and they ain't getting a penny. I would not pay that exuberant amount to go to a ball game. If I do, you better check my temperature. <laughs> I asked for a veteran's discount at the high school game and they won't do it. But... Uh, But I tell you this, church, I look and I watch those, those games and there'll be people with their faces all painted up. It'll be sub-zero weather. They have no shirt and they got shaved in their hair and letters on their chest and they're screaming and it's cultish. And it's not limited to games. It's all of our hobbies and things. We never give thought about Jesus throughout the week and we come in on Sunday morning and we raise our hand, oh, glorious day, you know, and praise and worship. We're only moved when it's the song that moves us. We're no longer moved by the gospel and what Jesus Christ has done. We can grow in our love for him. We can grow in our love for him. I think Jesus would tell us, listen, if you want to be like me, if you want to be Christ-like, let me refer you to that because I don't want anybody to think I'm saying to be like me. If you, Jesus would say, if you want to be like him, you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart. Is that not what he did? Every day he would go off in the morning alone and he would pray and talk to the Father. They tried to get him to eat and Jesus said, my meat is the will of God. My food is to do the will of God. My hunger is to do the will of God. How much time have we spent with Jesus recently? Love is only cultivated through relationship. So there's a divine order. And our love for Jesus should motivate us to do everything we do. Listen, if you teach Awana, I know you've had a rough day at work. 
I know that you're frazzled and you come in there and the kids are wired and we've given them red Kool-Aid and they're pumped and they're all over the place. But let me tell you something. If you love Jesus, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm telling you, people get so bent out of shape. I was, I was uh, talking to it. There's a family in this church who has family in another, state, another city in this state and they were going to a church and the kids were running around after church and they re rebuked them and told them that they weren't allowed to do that. And I know that there's a certain kind of order we should have in church, but they're kids. And I'm up here looking at you guys preach. Sometimes you all are doing childish things. No offense. I'm just telling you. And, I, and, I, and that's between you and the Lord. But it, they literally ran this family off because of the way the kids were acting. And listen, I, I would rather have the kids acting up and being around church than not have them. Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. You'll get to heaven, it's going to be like a bunch of children running around having a good time, enjoying life, and you're, I'm Baptist. <laughs> you know? Stop that. We're in heaven. I've been practicing. <laughs> and let me tell you, when you have grandchildren, everything changes. You know what I'm saying? Like you're like when you were kids and when your grandkids, oh, all right, leave them alone, man. Leave them alone. Our love for Jesus is our motive. Why do you sing praise? Because I love Jesus. Why do I clean someone who cleans the church? Why do they clean the church? Because they love Jesus. Because they love Jesus. Why do you get on that van on Wednesday night when it's cold and Terry's driven the van, a school bus all day and then she gets on the van and brings those kids? Why? Because she loves Jesus. Because I love Jesus. Why do I do anything I do? Because I love Jesus. And see, when, this, when we get this, everything changes. Now reading my Bible is not a chore. Why? Because I love Jesus. What's he say? If you would just view your Bible reading as God speaking to me, and there's something he's saying in this for me, it would change your life. We live in a culture that no longer writes letters. People don't like to read. And the Internet's done that. Social media has done that. It's conditioned us to short snippets. We don't have an attention span long enough to stay with something. We don't handwrite letters anymore. It's easier to type a text. And I hate typing. And she doesn't under, Siri doesn't understand hillbilly. They need to make a hillbilly version. Can somebody say amen right there? Please, I speak from experience. Proofread your text if you talk it before you send it. But we're not conditioned to that. So what do we do? We sit down and we read one or two verses on Facebook that somebody's posted and we've read our Bible for the day. How do we know Christ in that? How do we know Jesus Christ in that? I have discovered I am not a big city guy. Anybody here, anybody here love big cities? I am not a big city guy. When you go to Columbus or Cincinnati, anywhere, you're always in the wrong lane. I don't care where you're going, you're in the wrong lane. 
You need to be there, and they need to be there, and no one's yielding. Right? I mean, I don't even like to drive through New Boston at quitting time. Who's with me? It's horrible. I could not function. And listen, you know why? Because of the noise. We never are alone with God anymore. We've got noise constantly. And I'm the world's worst. First thing I do is get in the car, turn on the radio. And I'm finding that I miss out a time of being with Christ and growing and learning to love Him because the more I know of Christ, the more I love of Him. And the more I love Him, the more I want to serve Him just because it's Him. What would make someone sell everything they own and move three quarters of the way around the world and live in third world conditions to reach someone with the gospel? I'll tell you what, they love Jesus. They love Jesus. What would cause someone to forego their future, a lucrative, a lucrative future in, in um, anything? Maybe they're going to be a doctor or a lawyer or something, but God got a hold of them and they switched and he is going to be a pastor now. What would cause him to do that? Because he loved Jesus. It's a motive. If we serve Jesus on our terms, where's, where's, the, where's the love in that? Where's the love in that? If we're loving Jesus with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, then worshiping and serving is not going to be a task. It's a joy. The third thing I would like to tell you is this. There's a test to genuinely reveal our love for Jesus. You know what that test is? Look what the next verse says. Verse 38. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. How do I know if I'm really loving Jesus? Do you have love for others? Simple test. If you're going to be Christ-like and you're going to love Jesus, you're going to love other people. Someone told me one time, he was a preacher, he said, Son, the ministry would be great if it wasn't for people. And I thought, well, and the churches would probably be great if it wasn't for pastors. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. How do I know if I'm really loving Jesus? Do I love others? Well, who's my neighbor? Jesus tells us another passage. Look around. Everyone's your neighbor. Everyone is your neighbor. 1 John 4.20 says this, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? That's Scripture. That's not me. I'm not embellishing anything. I'm just telling you what the Scripture says. And there's a test in this. Jesus said, if you want to be great, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And the second one, love others. Not just people you like. Not just people you're close to. Loving those who are different from you and unlovable. Anyone in here, be honest this morning and say, I have someone that pushes my buttons. That, I mean, just runs me to the edge. We all do. But you know, we're instructed to love them. 
You know, Jesus loved them enough to die for them, and he loved you enough to die for you. Who are you not to love him? Or her? Or whoever it is? Why is this so important? Because God is love, and we are most like God when we love. If you share the gospel with someone because you love Jesus and you want them to know Jesus, you are loving them. You are sharing the gospel with the right motive. You're loving Jesus and you're sharing them. When you have that one child in your classroom that throws fits and is on the table, under the table, in the windowsill, don't give up on him. Love him. There is hope because I was that kid. One time the teacher... She was an older woman, and she said, You sit down and behave yourself. And I looked at her, and I said, Do you know who my dad is? She said, I don't care who your dad is. Sit down and behave. And she was right. But listen to me. What I'm trying to tell you is this. Don't give up. Love him. Love him. Well, you just don't understand. That, 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 that kid's wild. Love him. Well, you don't understand, this man's a liar. Love him. You can love him and not, not be taken by him. In this text, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious ones, were the ones who had issue with Jesus. Why? Because they didn't know him. And because they didn't love anybody that wasn't like them. Oh my goodness, the Independent Fundamental Baptist Churches. Man, we have really messed up because we've made a place that we'll love you as long as you're like we are. If you wear the clothes we wear, if you carry the Bible we carry, and you do this, and you think like we think, and you vote like we vote, then we'll love you. Are you kidding me? What an insult to Jesus Christ. That's Pharisees. That's Sadducees. The Pharisees didn't like the Sadducees, and the Sadducees didn't like the Pharisees, and the only time they worked together when it was beneficial for both of them. Sounds like a lot of the churches today, doesn't it? They did everything in their religion supposing to be following God. They thought they were better than everyone else. They thought they were more spiritual. But there was no love, just strict adherence to rules and their, listen, their interpretation of the Scriptures. Many legalists today, supposing to be religious, they want you to do something. They want you to preach. They preach adherence to their interpretation of the Bible without any mention of love for Jesus and love for others. Yet Jesus said, if you want to be like me, love the Lord with everything and love others. I think if I could ask Jesus what I should do this year to be more like Him, He would say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love others. Love others. I will say three things in, in closing. Number one, guard your heart. Guard your heart. There's a divine order here. Guard your heart. If your heart's not right, nothing else is going to be right. Guard it. How do you guard it? You hide scripture in it. You hide. Listen, we live in a day where the, the, the phone will read the Bible to you. I downloaded an app called Dwell. You can go in. You can pick your Bible. You can pick. Everybody watch out. There goes a the ladybug. Um, 
you can, that's the way ADH works, I'm sorry. Um, you can pick the voice to read it to you and how you want to read it. And every day, it'll automatically send you and say, it's Bible reading time, we're going to read. You set the time up, and it will read the Bible to you. Could you imagine the Apostle Paul had this, what he would do? Could you imagine what he would do with the Internet in prison? He'd be writing letters left and right. Guard your heart. Number two, everything I do, I do because I love Jesus. Commit today. No New Year's resolution. Resolutions are made to be broken. Fact. Don't. Don't do that. Do this. Resolve in your heart with the power of God on your life that this year I'm going to do everything I do because I love Jesus. I'm going to do it because I love him. It's going to be hard. I'm not going to want to do it. I'm going to get frustrated and aggravated, but I'm going to do it because I love him. And then number three, love others. Listen, there's plenty of room on this highway of loving others. Plenty of room. Because a lot of people only love the people they like. And to do all this, I must know him. Because love is only cultivated through relationship. And I don't care what you do for the glory of God if you don't do it with a pure motive of love, you're not, fully, you're not fully impacting the way Christ would want you to impact. There's something distinct about someone who loves Jesus and loves others. Pastor Duke has become a real good friend of mine. And Pastor Duke calls me from time to time and we have conversations and I love his genuineness. I love how he just loves Jesus. It's just about Jesus, and wherever he goes, it's about Jesus, and it's all about Jesus. It's infectious. If you and I would love Jesus and love others, they too might want what we have. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. Because you wear a big cross necklace around your neck? Because you carry a big black family Bible? Because you wear a suit? No. By, all, by this, all men shall know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. We're fighting a battle we've already won. My question is, do you want to grow in your love for Jesus Christ and for others in 2024? It starts right now, right here, with God, giving Him, surrendering my heart to Him, that I want to grow and I want to love Him. Would you bow with me, please, for prayer?